Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Welcome to Talent Talk Radio. My name is uh, Chris Dyer, and again, I'll be your host here for the next hour. The Talent Talk Radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. And in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings, and we kind of try to hone in on two of them. First, as it relates to success and how really talented people achieve success. And the second is how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their company. This show will explore those two areas best we can, along with how talented individuals impact a company's culture. Uh, my guests uh, on this show typically include CEOs, uh, HR executives, entrepreneurs, authors, coaches, just all kinds of fantastic business leaders from every industry you can think of. And what typically happens is I'm out at a conference, I'm fortunate enough to be speaking or uh, attending a conference and trying to learn something new, and I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time, and I created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a very positive way, as well as pick up some advice on how to cultivate talent, develop leaders, and manage culture within your organization. I want to thank those of you tuning in live today and especially every Tuesday if you're tuning in. Don't forget, you can submit your questions via Twitter right now by sending them to peopleg 2 Use that hashtag talent talk, all one word. And my producer and I can feed me the best questions as well as work them into the show as time allows. Feel free to send us any other suggestions you may have, guests, suggestions, questions, uh, anything else that's on your mind, we're happy to, to take a look. Don't forget, uh, the Talent Talk uh, podcast is on iTunes as well and Android. You can uh, subscribe to that feed and join the over 132,000 subscribers of that feed. Every week, 100, over 100,000 people are downloading this podcast, taking a listen, and we really uh, can't say thank you enough for tuning in when you're on the treadmill or at your kid's soccer practice or on your way to work or home from work, wherever it may be. We appreciate you being a part of the Talent Talk experience. So let's get today's show started. My guest will be Bianca McCann. Global HR Leader at SAP, and my second guest will be Mark McMillan, Principal at McMillan Leadership Associates. So let's go ahead and get started. Bianca, welcome to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Hey, Chris. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, of course, your, your company, SAP, that a few people around have heard of. <laughs> I hope so. Um, so let me start with SAP. Um we're the number one enterprise software company in the world, and we pretty much make software for any business transaction um, you can possibly imagine. And I get the great honor of working at SAP in a number of um, HR roles, but most recently uh, I run the HR Expert Network, the Global HR Expert Network at SAP, and previously I was an HR leader for them in one of their core lines of business and also headed up talent and leadership for their sales and services organization. Bianca, my apologies. We're, I'm remote today, which is a very unusual circumstance. I'm usually in the city in Orange County, but 
I happen to be at the Gap headquarters in San Francisco, and for some reason the call dropped. So no I know problem. you told us a little bit about SA, about SAP, but uh, if you didn't already get to, did you already get to the part about yourself? Yeah, so just a quick recap. Uh, I work at SAP. We're the number one enterprise software company on the planet, and I've done a bunch of HR roles for them. With my current role right now, I, I run the Global HR Expert Network for SAP, and previously I headed up um, talent and leadership for sales and services for them and was an HR leader for one of their core lines of business. That's a little bit about me. So, so what is it brought, that brought you into this career of, of human resources and, and probably also continues to drive you to be in that field? You know, it's actually funny how I, fell, I sort of fell into HR. I mean, I ended up going and get a, getting a master's degree in HR. But the way that I found out about HR, I was actually, I was bartending in college in Ithaca, New York, and the um, professors from the Cornell uh, HR school would come into my to my bar, <laughs> and they said, you really need to be looking at HR school. You really should be applying to HR school, and I thought, what is HR? What is that? Um, and so they actually were the ones that turned me in, into and onto uh, HR as a career path, and so I did just that. I ended up um, following their, their dreams for me and moving into the HR, the HR path, and I've been doing HR work now for about a decade, and, um, you know, regarding what's up next for HR and why I just love this work. I, I think it's our field more than ever before, you know, we're really poised to do some amazing work. I think it's really this interchange between the tactical HR work that we used to do and really finally um, being able to do the strategic HR work that we've been working towards and working on and talking about, but really at an entirely different level. I mean, I truly believe that we're going to be able to do those things and it's happening now. So I'm really excited and uh, honored to be an HR professional at, at this point in time. And, it's, and it really kind of goes in line with a lot of our guests talk about that. somebody important in their lives, a mentor, a teacher, or someone kind of pushing them in this direction of HR that they maybe didn't really expect. It wasn't on their radar. It wasn't something that, you know, when they're, you're a little kid, you don't dream of growing up to work in HR. It's not, you know, in that mindset. But then somewhere along the, the, the way, someone says, hey, you'd be really good over here. And you're you're kind of thrust into this whole new world that maybe you had never thought about that, but is but is so kind of incredibly important. And that strategic work you're talking about is it, it just becomes such a huge impact into organizations and how they can really make a change uh, for their organizations from a profitability standpoint, but also from you know community standpoint and 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 employee wellness as well. You know them having you know a kind of a great experience at work and, and how they go. So. And it's great to kind of hear that connection that you're having. I know in your bio, one of the things we read that was kind of neat, you, you listed as believing that you know, unleashing the brilliance of each individual, we can drive workforce engagement and ultimately drive workforce performance. I really kind of like that that you had in there. So can you talk a little bit about your perspective on talent management and how you, you get the most out of of everybody on a talent perspective? Absolutely. One of my favorite topics. So I really do believe that. I really believe that there's brilliance in every single employee, every single person. And one of the fun things about our job is that we need to help and we get to help people discover what that amazing, brilliant piece of them is. And so it's really my opinion that everyone has this unique ability that, or, or a contribution to make. And so um, it's fun to sort of help them pull that out and farm that. So um, one of the things that I've sort of come to, to really love is this concept that Marcus Buckingham actually came up with, which is 
really spending time on the things that strengthen you. And I think when we can let our talent and help our talent spend time on the things that strengthen them, we will get their best and brightest. We're going to get the, the discretionary effort. Um, we're going to get their intrinsic sort of love and, and effort into the work that they're doing. And so one of the things that Marcus Buckingham says is we can we can spend time um, doing lots of things that we're good at but that we don't like, and those things are actually weakening us. So my talent philosophy is helping people discover the things that strengthen them, help them really diminish the amount of time spent on the things that weaken them, even if they're good at them. Uh, and that will ultimately, I think, create a happier workforce uh, and more productivity and certainly will boost profitability. So that, that's sort of my point of view on the brilliance within every single employee. Well, I really love that because, and I've told this story on the show before, so for anyone listening who's heard it before, I apologize, but so many times when I've asked really talented people about strengths and weaknesses, you know, you ask, you know, should you really be working on those things that you're weak at? And generally they'll tell you yes, but then when you ask them, well, do they do that? It's no, they, they focus on their strengths. And I really think that's an important part. You focus on what people are good at and their strengths. And maybe aside from, you know, your marriage or, or interpersonal type things, talking about what you do at work. If you focus on the things you're really good at, organizations can take advantage of your skills. You're, you can you can get fantastic feedback and praise and upward mobility and all these things on focusing on what you're really good at instead of spending all your time worrying about all those things that you know you don't do as well as everybody else. Is, is that is, is that kind of another way to kind of explain what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's really the classic definition of strengths strength and weaknesses. And and the little twist I like to put on that is that you might be amazing at something that actually is draining you. And so what I ask people to do is to really think about what's giving them the ultimate lift. What at the end of the day feels like that was an amazing day. That was so engaging. I got so much done. I still feel energized even though I put all these hours in and doing more of that work. Um, so for example, I might be exceptionally good at doing pivot tables in Excel, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that gives me strength. That might not be a day that I look back and say, that was a great day. So even though I'm good at that, it doesn't mean that I should be spending all my time on that because it might be weakening me, um, not what gives me joy. So my whole point is that if people can, can experience joy every day at work, they're going to bring that into the, into the results that they're providing for their company, and that's really going to drive performance. And so that's sort of my premise, premise on and unleashing the brilliance within. Now, is that kind of a part of what you use in the engagement piece because, you know, we, we can't all be doing things that we love. We all can't have that perfect day when we were perfectly engaged. So when you look at overall engagement in your company, how does that look? What are some of the other things that you might be doing to, to kind of, you know, add to that equation? I, I love that question. So employee engagement is like the age-old question, right? We're all, we're always working on employee engagement and it's, it's always been important. So, I think a couple of things, I mean, obviously we can't work on all the things we love every day. There's always a mix of things in our work day. Um, but there are a couple of key things that I think help create a sort of foundation for engagement at work. And one of the most basic things we can do is empowering our employee, giving them autonomy to really act, um, a sphere of influence, the ability to decide. As easy as that sounds, I don't know that we all do that. And so ensuring that your employee has the appropriate support 
but also the space to make decisions. That's sort of number one. People want to feel like they are making an impact at work. If people feel like they're making an impact at work, they're going to stick around, right, because they can see where they fit into the picture. That's kind of one. Uh, I think another way that I think through engagement is really in the leadership at an organization. I think leaders need to do a couple things. Two of them that really stick out to me is be really trustworthy. I think uh, a leader has to follow through on their commitments that they make. And when they do that, they have, they have followers. They have people that believe in them. And they have people who are engaged with their journey, their vision, and want to contribute to that. And so that's really important. I also think um, being really open as a leader, you know, having an open mind that your employees can bring their own ideas and can influence what that vision looks like, really creating a space for the employee to, to make a difference in the future and help them see that they're required, really, to be able to do that. We cannot do it without them. It's going to really help with engagement. And then finally, from an organizational perspective, you know, I always say it needs to be fun. You know, people are showing up at work every day for you. Um, you know, it's, it's a big portion of our time. And we need to have fun. And, and more importantly, we need to create team connection. So what are you doing as a leader? What are you doing as an organization? What are you doing as a peer or colleague to create a connection with those around you? Because people will stay at a job. People will, will stay with a team if they love their team. There's a loyalty that goes along with having a really engaged team, work, people working side by side. So those are a couple of things that we do at SAP and that I really think about when I think through employee engagement. When you talk about these things, they feel like common sense. They feel like things that people should be Thank doing you. and naturally inclined to. But yet we know when looking at a lot of organizations, they're not happening. Um, I mean, sometimes just saying thank you to someone is all they need from a recognition standpoint, yet organizations have a really hard time with people doing that consistently and effectively. So uh, I'm sure that taking some of these things are what maybe kind of pushed you to, um, and maybe you can explain a little bit more about the SLEEP program that I know you're kind of credited with founding, and it's kind of the award-winning global leadership development program. And maybe you can share a little bit about how that program works and, and what are some of the kind of main tenants of it. Oh, my gosh. I could talk about LEAP forever. Um, so the LEAP program, <laughs> I've had the great honor of um, really creating and founding uh, a program at SAP, and that stands for the um, Leadership Excellence Acceleration Program. And essentially, it's a it's an accelerated development program focused on female talent at SAP. It's a very deliberate, deliberate design that's really focused on creating a leadership uh, experience that's based on the culture here at SAP. So what are the things that our leaders and our future leaders need to um, experience, to learn, to demonstrate, to really be able to get prepared and to step into key leader roles here at SAP. And so the LEAP program uh, was super successful. We had some of the best results we've ever had um, in a leadership program to date at SAP. And now it's a global program for our company, and we'll get about four to 500 women through the program each year. So it's a huge, uh, very exciting um, program and, and impact to the company. And uh, next month we'll be hopefully winning first place, but definitely first, second, or third place at the uh, Leadership 500 Awards that are sponsored by HR.com. So I'll have to put it on Twitter what spot we, uh, we won when, when we uh, attend the event at the end of the month. 
Oh, that's a great event. We've been, I think we're, we're nominated in a different category than you, so we won't be up against each other. But, um, yeah, that's uh, a really great event. Now, you mentioned uh, having about 500 women leaders. Is this program focused on women in business, or is it, you know, across the board? So the program, actually, what's really interesting about the design of this particular leadership program is it spans multiple levels of leaders, right, from first-level leaders to, to mid-level leaders to senior-level leaders, which is really a unique design. Typically, a leadership program will focus on sort of a, a key segment, you know, maybe, maybe mid-level leaders, for example. But this program focuses on all three, and it really leverages the sort of collective intelligence of the multitude of, of leaders um, to, to teach one another. So it's a leader-seeking leaders model. It's really taking care of each other. Um, so it covers, again, on that, on that piece. And then additionally, it's cross-function. So I've got people from sales or from finance or from HR, and that was also purposeful design. We wanted to ensure we were creating a space where people are getting you know, multiple perspectives from people who are from throughout the company. Uh, it's also a global program. So many different um, angles involved in the learning experience that LEAP is providing to its participants. So I know, you know, at SAP, you're, you're also kind of providing some internal consulting on personal branding and change management, employee enablement and talent innovation. You guys have, you know, kind of really, really broad perspective of things that are going in there. So what impact have you, uh, kind of seen from your leadership in this area in the ways in which employees work with clients and how maybe this sort of transforms some of these relationships? You know, so how's the effectiveness of what you're doing in HR maybe kind of trans, transferring into that client experience as well? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. So I, yeah, I get, I get the great honor of doing a number of fun, amazing work inside of SAP as well with, uh, with our external customers. And internally, you know, let me focus on one of the, one of the things that you mentioned, which is that personal branding, um, work that we do here at SAP. So probably about two and a half years ago, we really started thinking, rethinking our culture. And, um, at SAP, we believe that people bring their whole selves to work. We truly believe that we want the authentic whole person at work every single day, and it's really important to us. And so two and a half years ago, we started this personal branding um, concept, and it's sort of just the fabric of how we do things at SAP now. You know, talking about personal brand is normal here. And what that does, I think, um, is really feed into our culture, which is a culture of transparency and openness. Um, we really want people to talk about what's on their mind, what matters to them, and we want people to feel like they can be themselves at work and really ensuring that they know what themselves is. Um, and so being very purposeful and deliberate about how they show up at work and what's the impact of that, both good and bad sometimes. And so I think the personal branding work that, that we've been doing at SAP, I mean, honestly, from an impact perspective, I think it just really amplifies the, the openness and transparency that our employees, our managers, the colleagues that we work with every day are having with one another. And I think ultimately you know, that really converts into, um, I think, faster time to decision, um, better collaboration, all of the all those important good indicators that we're looking for when we look at high performing teams. You know, I think personal branding and being who you are at work uh, really feeds into that. So that I think has been some really amazing and fun work to be able to do. Are there challenges, though, in, you know, if you're being your full self at work and you have all this transparency, do you run into problems of oversharing or too much sharing or, 
you know, that, that might be, or, or people who are resistant maybe that want some level of privacy or don't want to be their full selves at work. I mean, do you have any of those sort of issues? Yeah, I mean, so of course you, you have people who are like, they have a work self and they have a home self, right? I guess, and that, that question is, you know, bringing your whole self to work, you may have a work self and you might be, that is my whole work self at work. Um, and, and you may be bringing that piece of you in. We're just saying you should feel at work like you can be who you are, but you still get to define that. So if you're a person who doesn't want to invite your peers uh, to your Facebook page, that's fine, right? If you don't want to share what you did in the weekend, that's okay too. But what we're saying is you get to be free here to, to bring whatever it is that you want to bring to, to make yourself feel fully invested at work and fully recognized for the person that you are to the workplace. And, and really the employees can, can, can dial that down or up, right? I mean, that freedom still exists there. It's just a matter of saying, you know, here's a chance for you to be, you know, really innovative at work. If you're really a creative person, for example, and you want to bring creativity into your work here, you can do that. If you um, want to be a person that um, is an HR person like me, but you want to work with external customers, you can do that here. You just can carve your way by bringing your whole self to work and, and helping people see how you want to contribute in the workplace. But that doesn't mean that yeah. you can't have delineation, right? Well, I'm sure with with all the fantastic things that you're doing there that part of your process is probably staying on top of what's new and, and, and always in that mode of learning. So I'm wondering if there's a particular book that maybe you're reading now or that you read recently that you might suggest our, our listeners take a look at. Oh, um, well, I just started a book. It wasn't a book that I bought for myself. It was a book that a friend bought for me. And uh, I probably wouldn't have thought of reading it, but it's called The Gifts of Imperfection, and it's by Brene Brown. And I've, I've literally just started it, but it's sort of like a self-help book, I guess. But essentially, the whole premise is that, that you should live wholeheartedly, that the journey of life and work and all those pieces in between are really about being fully a whole person, feeling every day when you wake up that you're, that you're worthwhile, that the work you do is worthwhile, that the relationships that you have are giving you energy, etc. So it's uh, a book I just started. It's definitely something I wouldn't have picked up on my own, but I'm really glad that I did, and I look forward to getting getting a little deeper into the book. I know exactly what you mean. I, I, she's not someone I thought I would have ever connected with, and I saw her speak one time, and I was on the absolute edge of my feet and then read some of her books, and it, it just, it, you don't think you're going to be down that road, and suddenly you're in it, and it's like, wow. I mean, some, she's really, really good at connecting some good storytelling with wonderful data, that, and I don't know if the book you're doing has that or not, but the ones I've read have, and that really kind of give you a nice, kind of clear conclusion on on, on where, you know, where she kind of wants you to go. It, it, she, she, she's great, so... Well, I, unfortunately, we're here at the end of our interview. You've been fantastic. Um, how can people reach out and find out more about SAP or, or you if they're interested? Oh, uh, yes, a couple things. So you can find me on LinkedIn. That would be a, the perfect place to connect with me, or on Twitter at HR Lightning. Uh, and then also with SAP, I'm going to ask folks to look at two different things, both on our SAP Facebook page and Twitter account, at SAP, but also our life at SAP uh, Facebook page and Twitter account and life at SAP will give you a great uh, purview into uh, the great culture that we have here. And finally, I would encourage people to join our talent community. 
I will put a link to that on my LinkedIn page so folks can get to that. You can also get to our talent community via the SAP Careers page and sign in to um, get alerts and updates on what's going on at SAP, news and fun events and so forth. Well, Bianca, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. We've learned a lot. And hopefully you can come back at some point and give us an update on what you're doing. And hopefully we'll have uh, less technical issues that time. Um, but, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks a lot, Chris. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your show. All right. Thank you. Up next is Mark McMillan after this quick commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. And now back to Chris and his next guest. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. My uh, next guest is Mark. Uh, is, is he on the line already? He's here. Yes, I am. He's ready. Oh, well, fantastic. Uh, we're, we're having flight uh, challenges here today just because we're uh, doing this remotely. I'm not in the studio like I normally am, so <laughs> I apologize for the, uh, the, the slide off here. So... Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, and uh, we'll get started. Hey, first of all, thanks for having me on the show today. I'm excited to be here. Um, my company is McMillian Leadership Associates. Right now, it's a small operation in West Virginia. Uh, and it came to be because in 2013, I retired from the Army after about 22 years. In the Army, you eat, sleep, and breathe leadership. And I became very passionate. I, it, it began taking up all my, my uh, recreational reading as well. And while I was in uniform, I was very lucky to have a lot of opportunities to, to serve in a variety of leadership positions. So now what I do is I take those experiences and I marry them up with my leadership study and reading and share them with others. I work with leaders at all levels, from the executive level down to beginning supervisors. I love helping others find a better way to, to, to lead your company. Well, and that's, uh, kind of can be really, really important. I, and, and I appreciate you coming on the show today. So first off, let's maybe talk a little bit about your military experience and how that has kind of translated into your success, you know, in a career in leadership consulting and, and, and with business leaders. 
I think about this often, and I've been asked this question before, and I boil it down to three major lessons. The first one is personal accountability. In the first summer when you're a cadet at West Point, they give you four responses. Yes, sir, no, sir, no excuse, sir, sir, I do not understand. And the, the point is to drive home that you are responsible for everything you do or fail to do. In the Army, that continues to be extended towards when you're in charge of a unit, a group of soldiers. And you're responsible for everything that unit does or fails to do. So that idea of personal responsibility, personal accountability, really drives you to take action because you don't want to be caught. You don't want to be responsible for, for bad things. You make good things happen. The second piece is clear communication. Uh, and, and at the very basic level, you know, we use the phonetic alphabet, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta. And that's mm-hmm. for when you're on the radio to clearly communicate. Uh, we use military time. So right now it's, it's 1340 Pacific time as opposed to, you know, 140 in the afternoon. Because you, when you have an operation at 730 in the evening, you don't want your troops showing up 12 hours early or 12 hours late. So, so that communication is, is, is critical. Uh, and, and, the, and the third major lesson I would say is planning. When, when you plan an operation, you have to plan in detail. There's an old saying that no plan survives first contact with the enemy. But Eisenhower responds, someone asked him that I think one time, and he said, plans are useless, but the planning process is indispensable. Because it puts everybody on that common sheet. When that plan has to change, everyone has a, a common basis to adjust from. And those are the things that I try to bring to bear uh, in, in everything I do, not just business, but even my wife gets impatient with me sometimes when I, I do some pretty detailed planning on vacations, for instance. <laughs> well, I get those. You know, we, we'll plan very detailed vacations, and then everyone complains about the level of planning, but then if you don't plan it, then they're suddenly complaining that, you know, there's nothing to do. They don't know where to go. So I, I, I understand that one. <laughs> um, That's right. I know you started the company relatively uh, recently in 2013. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, what are some of the bumps that you've experienced? And what have you learned most from, from, from being an entrepreneur now that you're on your own? You don't have any of that structure that you had or the infrastructure, I should say, of the military. But being out on your own, what are some of those things that you've learned? Well, you know, you put your finger right on uh, on one of the biggest challenges I faced. And in the Army, I was a very disciplined person. In a disciplined organization, I was very disciplined. And all of it, and when I'm out here on my own, starting my own business, I found that uh, I really had to exert a lot of mental willpower. That uh, It just was a little surprising to me. But the challenges, I think the biggest challenge for me has been building a brand. I came, we moved to my wife's hometown, so my my name, my reputation was non-existent here. I literally started from zero, and while I'm very comfortable talking with people and groups about leadership, there's a long way from, from the start to where you get to do that. I've been learning about business developing, marketing, networking, all those things that every entrepreneur has to do. Uh, interesting, one of the, the kind of maybe peculiar to me as a veteran is in the military, people wear uniforms and they have rank. It's very easy to know exactly who you're talking to. In the civilian world, 
job titles are, are uh, they, they shift from company to company. Sometimes I'm not sure if I'm talking to the decision maker or maybe just the information gatherer. And, and But, you know, I, I've begun to navigate through that, and, and it's really enjoyable. It's really stretched me in a lot of different directions. Well, I know in your bio you kind of talked about some of the experiences in working with NATO and how that helped you kind of grow your own appreciation for the value diversity. So how do you think, you know, that impacted your understanding of leadership in the context of a kind of appreciation toward the talents of an ethically, you know, diverse workforce? I think that's a really interesting question. I was, I served with NATO. I lived in Norway for three years. You know, the Army emphasizes diversity a, a great deal, and appropriately so, that we need that. But in America, we, we tend to, to fixate on race and ethnicity, sometimes gender. What I found working in an international culture was that that cultural background is markedly different for people and what they bring. Now, race and ethnicity speak to that. You know, that that's clearly related. I was part of a, a scenario development team. We built a brand new world for NATO forces to practice in, to train in. And we brought a retired Bulgarian army officer on board. This guy was dead silent. He came to the meetings, never spoke, took a ton of notes. And so I really had to work a great deal to try to start drawing him out. His background was you didn't speak unless spoken to. You, you, you know, if the boss wanted to hear from you, he'd ask you. In America and Great Britain as well, we're very assertive, very aggressive. We're, we're very eager to share our opinions. The uh, for Kirill Kirev was his name from, and and he once we got him talking, his contributions to the group were immense. He grew up behind the Iron Curtain. He had a view of the world that just was radically different than what we did, and it made the team mm-hmm. and the product immensely stronger that that was the big the big thing i learned i i took away is is that cultural background much more than skin color or you know what language you may speak at your home those those are related but that diversity of background is, is invaluable in the workplace yeah absolutely well and, and and when you look at uh getting into a room and if everyone is thinking the way you're thinking and going in the direction you're going, in some ways that can be a benefit, but in other ways you may completely miss out on these other great ideas or these other perspectives or risk you should be considering. And it sounds like in this context that that person was able to supply you some of that, uh, kind of a di- di- totally different perception and way of thinking. And But it took you that moment of connecting with that person on a very singular level to understand where where the issue lied in, in that communication occurring. Uh, and that's a lesson I think a lot of people could, could take home right now. And in that, in trying to understand someone, sometimes it takes that one-on-one conversation uh, to, re- to really get down deep enough to start to really uh, channel their contribution as a part of the team. Am I categorizing that correctly? Oh, I think you summed it up very nicely. We all have blind spots. You don't know what you don't know, and that diversity is what uncovers those. But you got to be open to it. You've got to engage those people. Absolutely. Well, I think one of the things I saw in your in your bio as well was you had listed a saying. You know, fifty percent of great leadership is knowing when to get out of the way. And 
I, I certainly agree with that. It, it might even be more than 50% uh, sometimes. But I know a lot of people have a real difficult time getting out of the way, letting other people contribute, other people do their jobs, other people take responsibility, whatever it may be. So how was it for you to try to start adopting that type of philosophy, especially as an entrepreneur? Um, and I'm sure the military might have been a little bit easier knowing that someone in a designated position within an infrastructure who had the training to do a job, it's a little easier to trust they'll get it done. It's a lot harder to trust someone in an entrepreneurial setting to, to get something done. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how that's impacted you and how you've been able to try to still maintain that belief system. Well, I think it starts with trust. And, and the leader has to understand where his or her people are and their abilities, what they can do and can't do. And a lot of people have, have difficulty letting go. You know, they, they, they kind of feel like they have to be at the center of everything. And so there are times I've, I've had to work with a couple of customers that there was a problem in the workplace and it really stemmed because the leader was not turning his people loose. They knew what needed to be done. They needed some direction and guidance. And, and, and that guy wasn't doing that. He was kind of micromanaging, but more than micromanaging. He just didn't trust his people. And he had solid people. We always have bad apples. No mistake. Um, but it's that, it's that setting that ego aside. And, and, you know, it, it's interesting. That's one of the things that uh, I've run into time time again, how ego and humility are flip sides of the coin, and they really impact the, the leadership and follower situation immensely. I know you also spent some time uh, being an assistant professor at West Point. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that experience of teaching young cadets and, you know, leading an Army unit and... Uh, you know, and as that kind of maybe even reflects back to your time working on projects with NATO and really kind of, you know, understanding and getting an appreciation for that role in leadership development and talent management at those kind of different levels. You know, maybe you can talk about how that experience really kind of played out for you. Well, the 50% thing, for instance, was, was huge for me. That was really the first leadership lesson that I, I grasped at the time. A lot of times you learn things and it takes a while to sink in over time. But, but that sank in pretty quickly to my benefit and my unit's benefit. Teaching at West Point, there are no classroom discipline problems. <laughs> they come in, they stand up, and they salute when you start class. Uh, it, it is probably the perfect teaching environment, I think. But there were two pieces there. You know, one, I think you have to take it seriously. Those cadets are leaving the academy to go leave the Army and in turn go become corporate leaders or government leaders or political leaders. We have West Point grads uh, in Congress. We have the Secretary of Veterans Affairs as a former Procter & Gamble CEO. He's a West Point graduate. You know, my dream is that someday some, somebody's going to stand up. Today I'm President of the United States because Captain McMillian was my introductory psychology teacher at West Point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um the, the other piece of that, of, of just teaching it, is you get to practice those presentation skills that are so critical. There's communication and presentation skills that you use. I, I, I was able to perfect those and, and use them and practice them. I continue to work at them, of course, but they're invaluable. And I think, 
I use those in the classroom at West Point, and I continue to use them throughout the Army, and I, I use them every day. I just gave a major presentation yesterday that, you know, I can I can point to different pieces of, of where I drew on that experience. We have time for a quick war story? Yeah, let's do it. Let's hear it. In 2005, I was in Baghdad, Iraq, and, and sadly, this is not a story of great glory or firefights or explosions, but... Uh, I was a field artillery officer in the Army, and field artillery officers deal with cannons and, and uh, you know, close air support and rockets and missiles and things that go boom. Well, in Baghdad in 2005, we weren't, we weren't doing things that go boom, which was a good thing. So, but I got there, and, and that was my job, so my boss and I had to figure out, okay, what, what do we want Mark McMillian to do? So what we did is we, we were cobbled together, because we were on a new playbook. It was not... That's not the way the Army was still adjusting to that type of, of environment. We formed Team Squishy. And Team Squishy it was my boss's term because I think it's kind of making fun of us a little bit. But uh, it was all the non-kinetic things. So information operations, civil... It's all the things that we were doing that were not out catching bad guys. But, you know, we were building infrastructure. We were helping build roads. We, we helped build a sewage treatment plant. And so my team helped publicize that to the Iraqis, make sure they knew the good things we were doing. We tried to make sure they knew the bad things the bad guys were doing. And we, we tried to get the truth out there in front of people. Because in the absence of the truth, people listen to anything. I wasn't happy when I got it, but I found the job very rewarding as I went on. And later I heard an old, a senior officer mentoring a younger officer. And he said, you don't always get to take your jobs in the Army, but you have to bloom where you're planted. And the idea is you you go out and do a great job whatever your position is. That was really great advice, I think, for that young officer, and I took it as well. And it, it served well. It served me well over time. Um, you know, I, I live in West Virginia. West Virginia is not always known as a, as a hotbed of economic activity. I wanted to come back. I have deep uh, family ties to the state, but I'm. I found that need for leadership and leadership training is something I'm passionate about. So I'm building a business here, and and that's that's been a real challenge. But it's worth it. I'm blooming where I'm planted, so to speak, even though I chose where to be planted in this. Instance. Does that make sense? You mentioned, yeah, it does. And you mentioned that uh, kind of great advice that we've given. And typically, when we have people on the show, they can usually kind of point to one person or a few people in their lives that really had an important kind of, you know, life-changing kind of impact on who they were as a leader. Is there anyone in your life like that that you might point to as kind of being that that person for you? There are. There are there are several people that have, have helped me become who I am and what I am today. Um, but I like to go back to the very beginning. Oddly enough, seventh grade football of all things there was a, an assistant coach named Jack Cole and we were doing summer conditioning and I wanted to be a quarterback I'm not sure why then I wanted to be a quarterback but I knew I did and we were doing conditioning goals within the practice and quite frankly I was loafing I was just dogging it and he yells across the field everybody on the field could hear him hey McMillian thought you wanted to be a quarterback Quarterbacks are leaders. 
you can't lead from the back. So, so I was a little embarrassed, obviously, but I was embarrassed in that good way that a good coach can, can do for you. And it sparked something in me. And I didn't finish first in that drill. I, I moved up. But I never finished less than first in any drill afterward. And, I, and I, it quickly clicked on me that you got to be out front if you want to be a leader. And the other thing was I started figuring out the harder I work, the more good things happen to me. And those are two things that, that served me well through high school at West Point and into the Army and, and still do today. I think Henry Ford said, the harder I work, the luckier I become. And, and I really believe that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, some uh, really great story. I mean, so many, like I said, so many people have really talked about a particular person in their life. Sometimes the parents, sometimes it's an assistant football coach. It's just somebody who kind of kicked you in the butt the right time, the right way to to make you realize that you know you need to do certain things, you need to act certain ways. And it sounds like you know you certainly have had that. Uh, really great to hear. Uh, you know, one of the things that we love to ask uh, our guests. Um, I hope we have a great answer for us. Um, you know, is there a particular book you're reading right now that our listeners might uh, want to check out? I am. I am reading a book called The Boom by Russell Gold, who's a Wall Street Journal energy reporter. It's it's a, uh, a history of fracking in the oil and gas fields. I live on the uh, Marcellus Shale, uh, which is, is big here in, in uh, Appalachia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, and even far north as New York, uh, it's having a dramatic impact locally uh, in terms of economic boom, actually. And, and I think it's going to have an even bigger impact on America because we may not be energy independent now, but we're getting pretty close to it. And that dramatically impacts every aspect of our foreign policy. You know, I, I spent two tours in Iraq. And we can say for a variety of reasons, but, but certainly one of those was to assure our energy uh, supply. It's very similar to why Desert Storm in Kuwait. In World War II, we fought in North Africa to keep the, the Mediterranean open for oil flowing from the Middle East for the war effort in World War II. Um, once America develops those resources more richly, hopefully in a responsible way, it's... Uh, it's going to be, a, it's literally a world changer. And this guy, uh, Gold, he writes well. He has that journalist's uh, level of writing, so it's not too deep, uh, but it's a, it's a good read. I'm really enjoying it. Well, it sounds like a great book. I'm sure we'd be uh, well, uh, well thought to go up and check out. Uh, Mark, I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, you've learned a lot. I've enjoyed the stories and all the information that you've given us. Uh, hopefully you can come back at some point and give us uh, an update on how you're doing and how your business is growing. Uh, we'd certainly love to hear it. Well, I'd love to. And, and again, thank you for the time today. And, and how can people get a hold of you and learn more about uh, McMillian Leadership Associates? Well, I have, I have a website, mcmillianleadership.com. That's MC million, like a million dollars, which I don't quite have yet. But I'm getting there. Uh, but <laughs> mcmillianleadership.com. I'm on Twitter uh, at MarkMcMillian91. There's another Mark McMillian out there. I'm the 91 guy. And if nothing else, you just Google McMillian and leadership, 
and I, I'm at the top of the page. I'm glad to say. I'm also on Amazon. I've, I've written a couple pieces on leadership on uh, in Kindle, so so you can find the Million Leadership on on Amazon as well. Well, fantastic. Then again, Mark, really appreciate you being on the show. That's about all the time we have for today. I want to thank my guest again, uh, Bianca McCann, and also uh, Mark McMillian. Tune in uh, live next week at uh, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. My guest for the host show will be uh, Lynn Schmidt, the global talent uh, management leader. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.